This is an ABC podcast. A tradition that sailed across the water, weaving the stories of two cultures still inextricably linked. Daniel Browning with you for The Art Show, and I'm looking out over the same turquoise waters that once carried the Macassan seafarers from what's now the Indonesian island of Sulawesi, on the hunt for tripang, or sea cucumber. Yes, I'm in Darwin for the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art Awards, and a whole heap more, because the city is heaving with art at the moment. Art is literally everywhere. And across the ABC, it's the theme of this Arts Week. Today we'll chat with artists from across the top end and a little further south. We'll meet an exciting new collective from Tennant Creek that grew out of a men's shed that uses industrial debris from Australia's last gold rush to critique mining itself and the forces of colonisation. And we'll visit one of Australia's busiest art marketplaces where buyers get up close with makers and where millions of dollars changes hands. It's all coming up on this special edition of The Art Show. Brio. It's a name that was picked out of a thesaurus. In Italian, it means dynamic, vital, confident. Words that sum up the energy of the art collective, the Tennant Creek Brio. The artists met in a men's art therapy group in one of the most marginalised Indigenous communities in one of the most demonised outback towns in Australia. Some had been to jail. Some had drinking problems. But all took to art making with a degree of passion and drive that struck everyone involved. Six years on, they're now generating some serious buzz. Their new show in Darwin across two galleries is called Shock and Awe, and that's awe of the mineral kind. And it includes a range of vivid, figurative and abstract paintings, a smashing together of colour and paint on canvas, on old ute trays, sheets of discarded metal, old geological survey maps and broken flat-screen TVs. Other members paint oil drums, pokey machines, and finely crafted traditional knives. The work speaks to the deep and traumatic history of Tennant Creek on Waramungu country, but also of revolutionary hope and expectations for the future. Erica Izette is an independent curator who works with the Tennant Creek Brio. Tennant, in a way, it's like a blueprint of modernism hitting Australia in an extraordinary force and so it was so quick after the first explorer came through it was only a matter of years and then then the line came through within a decade they had shipped through steel and opened up this communication then the cattle were coming through at the same time it 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 was too many forces coming in at once there was everything that you can think of that could happen to culture and land happened there there was stolen generations, there was people getting moved off country so that they could mine for the gold, north and south, and there was massacres all around. So it's a very interesting melting pot. And of course, there was Afghans with their camels and there was miners from all around the world, from Croatia and from Italian miners, all people from around the world. So it's such a story of how technology can hit place that hasn't been touched for so many millions of years, so it's an extraordinary place. My name is Timmy Frank Kubrula, I'm from Tenon Creek. I am a Waramunga man, Waramunga Islander. My father's a Waramunga man from Tenon Creek and my mother's from Western Islander. I've been, I've been involved for art for 
you know, from, from young age, really. Uh, I got into art early, in early stage of my life, like 21, 18-year-old, but um, where me, I'm, I'm more doing traditional carving sort of thing and <coughs> working with the brio, and I think that's what's really, really, really unique about us guys. We got that traditional carving and stuff like that, and then also the, the, the brios do that contemporary art, sort of, sort of modern art, so... Yeah, that's where so I sort of cross over and I, I find it very interesting myself because they're more contemporary. I'm trying to explore art in, in other ways and trying to, you know, use art as a, I don't know, p- political tool or um, to express our culture and, and sh- showcase our culture in a different way in our today, you know, today, today life, yeah. You know, when, when white men first came to our country, I don't, I don't think they respected land, I don't think, I don't think they, they respected what they take out of the ground, they've took what they, what they, for their own wealth. When I'm when I working with Brio, you know, and I, I, was a, I was really amazed around um, how we use art in the, in the art industry to um, express what happened to our people or, you know, how us, especially us male, indigenous males, you know, we've been marginalised or stereotyping people, judge us more in using, using art to tell that story, I, I never thought of that because I've always, I've always heard it in radio, I've always seen it in TV, I've heard it in music, and I never thought that you can use art as a, a tool. We'll share three songs. This is our, me and my cousins, our grandfather's country. Joseph Williams is another member of the Tennant Creek Brio. His paintings on old mining survey maps speak to the lasting impact of the industry on the land and the psyche of the community. Well, stories we heard, when mining came in, the gold rush, they kicked a lot of our, the Warramunga people out from Tanner Creek Township but to the northeast place called Six Mile, but in our language, place called Galgadi, Six Mile Mission. It was still the Warramunga lands, but they were shifted there. My grandpa went there too. My nana, all my family, my auntie, mum's big sister was born there. But they all drafted out there, like away from town, so the miners come and do their work around Tennant Creek. No approval, you just go for it. Dig a hole all over, there's holes all over the place. If you don't know the country, you'd probably fall in a bloody shaft there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't really paint at work, I was, but I don't do that now. I got joined the fellas at the studio now and then, but lately I've been going there working with them. That's what I did the maps, I some of them. But my time is, my time at home. I got my own little studio in my room, I do, that's where I think and sit down quietly, get inspiration, and that's where my thoughts and my art come out when I sit by myself. This one's new to me, doing the works on the maps. It only started this year, a couple of months ago, with the maps, yeah. And it's based on the works here, based on, because we had water rights, problems with water rights, and down south from Tennant, you know, you might have heard of that Singleton Station stuff there. So that sort of, I heard that story, and then I did these particular works about soakages, about water, on, on all those maps I did there, the black and white and the colourful ones, about water, yeah, and storyline, all that, but mainly water.
When the Brio started, it was a men's shed. Everyone came together to help one another and to stay out of prison. What kind of impact has the Brio had on people's lives and in making them better? I'm sure the fellas, other fellas that you must have interviewed, that, that must have said, they, you know, they, these fellas hasn't went back in the jail or hasn't um, gone into sobering up shovel or picked up in the street. That's the most moving story, really, because the men are now so deeply empowered by their experiences and healing that have been coming out of the work, because it's truth-telling, it's cathartic, there's a level of community and collaboration, and their lives are completely changed, and we're really excited by what's happened. I've grew up in Tannum Creek all my life, you know, and, uh, and a lot of the lot of the fellas in the work and with Brio itself, I used to see these fellas getting picked up and by the paddy wagon and taken up for sobering up shelter. And I used to see these fellas waiting for 12 o'clock, you know, as soon as the pub opened, they go in there. In the last four years, you know, I've seen these, these fellas change, you know, you don't, you don't see these fellas waiting for time for a thing. You don't see these fellas for takeaway time at four o'clock, waiting, waiting across the bottle for the next takeaway. You don't see these fellas getting locked up. You know, they, 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 their name was on the sober and up shelters. You know, they, their names were there pretty much every night. These fellas don't go anymore. There, you know, I spoke to one fella just before I come in here. You know, he, he said, you know, one fella fall off track, and then these other fellas are saying. No, you know, we need you, we, we need to stand together, we, you know, if you're falling off track, you know, we're not, we need to be one, and um, that's, those are things that I've seen these changes are you. Not only, not only just get going to show up, they don't go to the big house too, you know, and some, some of the fellas used to go there maybe, you know, at least twice, or one, once a year at least, you know, in the big house, but yeah, that's stopped now. Tell me about the knives that you've made, Jimmy. They seem to be the most traditional items in this show, Shock and Awe. They're made from Blackstone. Uh, you said it was to do with the flying fox dreaming. When we're having the exhibition, it's around shock, shock and um, shock and awe. And when they say awe, you know, I think I'm like, wow, and that's, uh, that's pretty powerful when they say awe, because when I want to look at mining, we got, we got a lot of drilling happening in our country. And then we, you know, when you see where they're drilling, they're chasing an ore body, the ore body where the gold, where the rich, which is running for. And, and when I look at, when I, when I think of the word ore, you know, and the, the richness, white fellow chasing that gold, and they, 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 they look for that, that ore, that, that richness. And, 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 and this is really significant by Turner Creek, where the ores are, is where the ironstone is, the black, black rock. And those black rock are very significant for us, you know, we've got the flying forks and then we've got the yakula. It's the yakula, it's the spinifex resin. And these black rocks are very significant for us, And every black rock in Tenon Creek, every black rock on the sacred site that you went to, you can see something, someone messed with it or something has been mined or something happened to it there, you know. And going back to what I said, white for look for that, for the gold in this black rock, and look for, the, and look for that ore, where... When we look at Black Rock, our is our culture, our dream and our sacred site and our country, that's where that's plumped to us most special. Underground where they 
drill and they go underground. Those rock broke off in a thin slates, and I thought, oh, I picked up one and I ended up broken it up. And I think, oh, you know what? I can make a stone knife out of this one. And then um, when I looked at that rock and I thought about our, our country, my, my Yakula, and, you know, mining and, and my, my sacred country, Yakula, so I reckon it'd be, it, it fits really well with this exhibition that we got now to, to tell the story. You know, it's two worlds. As, as indigenous men, you know, we, uh, we, we, we are very culturally bound. Most of these fellas are very traditional blokes. And for us as indigenous person to express our either art or paint something traditionally, we got someone watching us all the time, you know, we got our peers, we got our elders in our community and we, we, we're culturally bound and you know, what, what are these fellas doing with, with art today? Something, you know, these sort of um, beings, you know, spiritual beings, but they come up a different way. That's, a, that's, that's something new, you know, these fellas are taking, expressing another way in, in our culture, yeah, so I'm really proud of them. But it's not meant to bother me. How would you describe what the art practice was like at Tennant Creek when you first got there? When I first got there, it, I went in a period where it wasn't working. The Art Culture Centre had been quiet and had been closed for some time. But their work was in a small shed off the site and when I saw it, it was like, wow, what is this? It's so incredible. So I got in touch with Rupert and asked him to come up. So we wanted to have an opening of the Culture Centre. Thought that would be the best works to put on the wall. And that's how it began. Rupert came up, all the guys got together, we put the work there, it was incredibly popular. Rupert Betheris collaborates with Fabian Brown on paintings and is the only non-Indigenous artist in the group. A former AFL player, he came to Tennant Creek to work for the therapy group started by Ananyingi Health. Uh, my name's Rupert Betheris, uh, I'm part of the Tennant Creek Brewery. Tennant Creek, I think um, I first went there when I was probably 20, 21, drove through there on a trip to, to Darwin. And then I think it was 2016, and um, I was passing through town and um, bumped into some people I know, and they invited me down to the men's centre. I was offered a job. I needed a job. Yeah, that's how I ended up doing some work there. What kept me there was working with the fellas, you know, the talent of the artists and the, the work that was coming out of there. I, I could recognise there was something happening. For me, it's a good place to make art as well. I was welcomed in by the people in Tennant Creek, local people, and, and uh, it's just a good place to make art because it's sort of isolated and we were given a good good space to work in and that's for an artist that's what you want and that obviously with the materials like the mining paper you know I find that really interesting going and sourcing that and you know um, for a while they were sneaking in and, and grabbing them you know and they were you know of value to us and, and that's a bit like the drums sort of you know each artist is finding their way so Clifford for instance did great work with Carla Dickens when she came up and his work sort of it's gone up, uh, up a level, so that's really, really positive. And so is um, Lindsay's work on the paper, sort of jumping out. So that's sort of what keeps us going, is the development of each person's um, practice. 
There have been incidents of abuse and violence in Tennant Creek, and the media portrayal of the town has been overwhelmingly negative. How does this project, the Tennant Creek Brio, counter that? The media attention in Tennant Creek has been overwhelmingly negative, and it's just not a true reflection of all the joys. Anyone who's lived in Tennant Creek, there's so many people who absolutely love it, and the men have been demonised through some difficult times, and media concentrating on really isolated incidents and this sort of art movement is about changing that perception and they're now strong and empowered and being able to tell the truth of their lives and stories and it is a hard life and tenant is a hard place but there's also power and resilience and survival and it's really exciting place to be then you go out into the countryside and it seems just flat from the road but the minute you go up any hill and there's a gorgeous hills north of Tennant Creek and the vistas are heartbreakingly beautiful and Joseph's country there's laced creeks and incredibly beautiful lilies. Malva trees in certain spots around Tennant Creek you've got dry, dry creek beds <laughs> only wet times it Late in, the, late in the year, we have big rain. When we get it, we had drought for a few years. A lot of ironstone, um, quartzite. That's that main stone where our old people used to make stone knives. We've got sand country, um, black soil country, yeah, rocky country, a big mixture here. Yeah. <laughs> Dry country, rough country. There's lines all over that country. The, there are song lines, and uh, the telegraph line came right through Tennant Creek. There's also the, the line, the seam uh, in that rock. And there people called it uh, spiderweb, we call it wadiligi in Warmal. So our people transferred that word to the telegraph line, wadiligi. <laughs> wadiligi, like a spiderweb, you know. There's lots of different styles in Tennant Creek Brio. We see Clifford Thompson working with 44-gallon drums and chimney stacks. Fabian Brown paints these big, incredible canvases with Rupert Betheris. Different, yeah. Fabian does wild stuff, as you can see, eh? he do wild work. <laughs> but as him, that's his nature. <laughs> but good work, yeah. He works hard. He, he likes to work night time, like a night owl, you know, night work. <laughs> he doesn't work daytime. <laughs> Sumbrani people, and, I, and this is what I get really, really, really worried about sometimes for my people when they, they live on live on the past and or they, they dole on something and if you know they eat away and they stay in the past. But it's really important that nationally it's it's already happening. Truth telling is happening, and I reckon you know we need to tell the truth, but don't sit on the past. Tell the truth and move on, because nationally I reckon if us Australian people have to live together. We've got to know what happened in the past and, and tell that story, but acknowledge and then that story and then, and then move on together. The more we crab over and not, 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 not telling the true story, then how can we live as a nation as one? And I, I feel that, you know, the Brio, what are we doing? It's in truth telling, it's very important. You know, and we're using art, and we're using history, and we, so we <laughs> sometimes we tell story a little bit too too rough. Sometimes we go an easy way about it, like the stone knife, for example. 
two worlds together there. You got the mining and then you got my dream and just in this rock. Shock and Awe by the Tennant Creek Brio is on at Coconut Studios in Darwin and the Charles Darwin University Gallery until October. Find details on the Art Show program page. If you walk around the exhibition of the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art Awards, the Nazis, you get a sense of what it means to live in Northern Australia, where the warm turquoise waters of the Timor and Arafura Seas lap the mangroves and muddy flats along the coastline. For hundreds of years, there was a cultural exchange going on, and the Timor was a maritime trade route plied by the Macassans from the southern part of the island of Sulawesi in their distinctive prows or wooden boats under calico sails. Yolngu culture, for example, is full of references to the Macassans. The cultural memory is strong up here, and it's literally woven into the artwork that's won the major prize at what claims to be Australia's richest art awards. The work is called Damala, and it's a sail made from dried pandanus leaves in a very tight weave that could almost hold water. I reckon it might even be seaworthy, this sail. Well, let's meet the artist, Margaret Rarugarawara from Milangimpi, an island just off the coast of Arnhem Land, speaking through her sister. And I asked Margaret about the bands of colour, a dull black, a burnt umber red and a pale yellow. I'm Helen Milmijar and I'm, I've got sister that I'm just translating her story because I work with them, I sit with them, I help them, you know, and I'm proud of her. That red colour is from the ashes. We mix to yellow pandanus, and that comes to your yellow pandanus, your red. And the yellow colour is a dye that we dig from the tree, the roots, yellow. And we mix, you mix kuningi, we call that kuningi. That's from that yellow root. And the dumala, it comes from Makassar. Do you reckon when those Makassans came, did the young help them with the sails, repair the sails, fix themselves if they broke on that, on that journey from Makassar? Makassar, mm. Like that came from other Nawe, like um, Mangustin Nawe. They were sailing up to Millingen Bay. Yeah. Um, then one of our father's grandfather, he saw that thing that was on that boat when they were sailing up to Millingen Bay. Yeah. And they, and the father, for us father, he got that and he tried to start making because that time that she was small and he was looking at that. Then he showed to them, oh, I made this. And the family saw that, well, I mean, that's good. We can make some. And the father one who teach her, nah, teach, but she was just looking at that. And she got that memory on when he was thinking the story from the father. And how long did it take to make this particular uh, sail, this domala? Eight months. Eight months. 
Yes. <laughs> Eight months, that's a long time. Do you think that if you put this on a canoe, that it would sail? Mm. Mm. It's right for the canoe yeah. you know, to sail out. You know. Do you reckon them old fellas would have sailed with these, like in, from Melangimbi to Makata? <laughs> Maybe? Maybe, yeah. yeah. And, and Margaret, $100,000, I mean, that's a lot of money, and she must be very happy to, to win this award. No, not happy. <laughs> tired, tired. Look, look, thank you so much. This is an absolutely beautiful work. I love it so much. I'm so, I'm so pleased for you. So congratulations. So my name is Miles Russell-Cook. I'm Senior Curator of Australian and First Nations Art and I'm one of the judges of the Nazis this year. And I'm looking around at the, the exhibition, The Hang by Rebecca Raymond here at the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory. We're not very far from Margaret Raru and Garawara's Pandanus Sail and the Damala. What an unusual choice. You know, a Pandanus Sail. I mean, a grass Toyota has won the, the uh, Telstra Art Award, but Pandanus Sail. Look, I think that weaving often gets overlooked um, in awards like this, but the sheer amount of work that goes into producing something like this, not only uh, from the gathering and the splitting and the dyeing and the weaving, but kind of generations of matrilineal knowledge that kind of all comes together in, in, in a work like this. For me, this work represents an amazing kind of transcultural relationship that Yolngu people have with Southeast Asia that is not not particularly widely known and I find this work deeply moving um, both in what it says about the kind of importance of women's work uh, and, and fibre but also in that it kind of smashes stereotypes about history you know we often think of this kind of idea of Captain Cook as the kind of beginning of interactions between First Nations people and, and you know, the rest of the world. But embodied in a work like this is this kind of extraordinary um, history that actually positions Yongle people as active and intrepid explorers in their own right, crossing seas well and truly before Europeans came to this continent. And to me, it's about that kind of repositioning of of Yungle people and of First Nations people as, you know, as, as explorers. And, and that's, you know, a story that we see echoed around the country with uh, people crossing seas, travelling, you know, Tosha Islanders travelling down the coast of Australia and from Papua New Guinea and through the archipelago to, to Australia and this kind of extraordinary ocean voyages that... Open sea with, you know, you know cloth sails and uh, occasionally, you know, ones that had been... Uh, fixed with pandanus. Well, exactly, and I think this is, you know, Australians tend to kind of hold up maritime explorers as these kind of great icons of Australian history. But Aboriginal people, First Nations people in Australia get completely erased from that history. And so there's something to me in looking at a work like this that is very powerful um, in kind of helping to, to reposition that history. Anything else that struck you? I mean, is there anything kind of overarching that, anything that surprised you this year about, about these works? I, I'm just delighted that two of the big awards have gone to Weavings. And uh, I think that, as you, you, know, you mentioned the Jumpy work, 
other than that, I, I don't really recall weaving getting this kind of level of international and national recognition for what it is. And we kind of have this tendency to prop up paintings and, and often men's work. But this this work, the Dormala by Margaret Raru, has embedded within it the every everything that you could ever kind of ever ever want in a great great winning work. So yeah, very special. Miles Russell Cook from the NGV, one of the two judges of the Nazis this year. The other woven fibre work that steals the show is a long tubular fish trap made by Bonnie Burungara and her sister Frida Ali Wayacha from a homeland community called Yelan. They also live and work in Milangimbi. It's absolutely stunning, this fish trap. And I'm assured that this beautiful sculptural object floating in the space at the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory is right to go. You just want to lower it gently in the water if you want to feed. My name is Frida Wayacha. My name is Bonnie Burungara. Congratulations on this beautiful fish trap. What's the what's the fish trap made of? Uh, it's a vine. It's a vine. When we go out in the jungle, we look for vine. The little one, the little vine, and now it's a big vine. And the, what's the name of the vine that you use? In our way, Miller. Miller. And so what kind of fish would you catch with, with this trap? Mallet or barrel. Yeah. <laughs> Jump in, sorry. <laughs> I'm curious, how did why why is it so big? Um we're just thinking uh, like our father made a big fish trap. Yeah, and he put in the water. Mm, sometimes in the beach and he put the big um mangrove tree all the way, like a fence net, and he put the fish trap in the middle. Yeah, yep. And also sometimes we made a um, fence net. They made a fence net, two fence net, and the fish trap in the middle. Hmm. And um, how long have you been practicing? How long have you been making traps? Um, when we were young, we sit beside our family, like our mum, and then we started to watch them how to make. Hmm. And, and how long would it take to make this particular one, Bonnie? How long did it take to make this one? Three weeks. And have you, have you entered the, the Nazis before? Have you entered the Art Awards before with, uh, with other fish traps? No, 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 just first time. First time? First time entered in the awards? Yeah, that's how we It's amazing. Congratulations. Any particular favourites or any, were there any kind of pitched battles between you and the other judge, Joanna Parkman. Look, tell me, tell me honestly. (laughs) There were no battles. I think we had that tense moment where you kind of, all right, we'll both say it at the same time, you know, for the big one, the big award, and we both came out with Margaret's name at the exact same moment, and that, as soon as that's done, everything else is a bit of a relief. And look, as... As difficult as it was to judge because it's apples and oranges, we were very much unified in our decisions. Everyone says that. <laughs> Everyone says that. She's on crutches now for, you know, maybe that was, maybe we did have a scuff up. <laughs> well, it's rising sea levels that are threatening food sources across the Gulf and up into the islands of the Torres Strait. Not just food sources, but a way of life. High tides threaten the sand caves. 
and those vanishing tidal islands where turtles lay their eggs and where fish traps have been erected are the subject of a high-definition film. I'm Jimmy John Tyree. I'm from Erub. My film is all about climate change and awareness for climate change, change on our sand cave. And that's where we usually go have our fishing picnics out on the caves and and so on and for that it's for sharing awareness for animal source, like for turtle nesting. The climate change once you've got cocky coming in and cycle blowing at the same time, the sand case all always move and it makes all the turtle nest comes out and it spoils the nesting. Oh it washes the turtle nests away. Yeah and so Rangers today now is starting to try and move the nest up up a bit, like more into the higher grounds. How have you seen life change uh, with rising sea levels on Arab? Oh, it's, as I can see for Arab, it's, it's changing and the tide has come up more. You're probably walking tide, it's probably up to you. It's a king tide. Yeah, king tide. And it's really, it's really changing everybody now and everybody's starting now like scream out and trying to go on the media if you do that you might as well bring your heart into it and make sure like like for now as you can see it's really beautiful there's a drone shot here of a big stingray and what are these other other fish uh, bait fish this is at the back of the island now with that part there Beautiful, beautiful colours. They just stand and just push it down and got the drone up. They learn to drive the drone. Hey. <laughs> Have you crashed that drone? Not yet. A bit, not yet. <laughs> so beautiful, what we're seeing of the country, what we're seeing of Arab, the water, the sandbanks, the keys. So, it's just so, so beautiful. I hope people who can make decisions about climate change can see this film. What can we do? The only thing we have to do is do it right. Because you know, you're standing there and try to scream out, you might as well just show them and so they have a look at us. Ah, so this is what's happening out there. Like for coconut, now they're starting to build up seawalls. Yeah, and cyber, yeah. So it's working, but, but we still got to tell a story and in a different ways. So better well just put it to art or put it into a movie, not to their level, that like they can t- see now that they are. It's really happening. My name is Mirkeo Ikanambar Stubbs. I'm a tattoo woman of Pirkala, and um, behind me is the painting of um, my mums, and she's a Gumbach woman. He sadly passed away. This is a beautiful, beautiful painting. I know there's a toner cartridge, very be- beautiful pink. The, the title of the work, Unipingu, the rock? Yes, it is um, uh, an ancient rock that stands um, just south from um, Yirkala. This name is, the world knows this name, this surname. Well, I suppose. <laughs> This is beautiful, this painting, and, but the old lady must have, she had many sisters and all practicing this beautiful artwork. 
they all did their own thing in their own way. I have names for all of them. So the first one was, we called um, the Ocean Lady because she did animals from the ocean. And the second one was the Star Lady. Yeah, she did a lot of star things. And the third one was the Fire Lady. She had fire patterns. And the fourth one was the everything lady because she's had strokes and thousands of strokes and things and things, you know. And, um, and this one we called the mermaid lady. Yeah, and um, no, they were beautiful, beautiful sisters, you know. They argued amongst themselves and, um, and then they all get to back together and just start and just be happy again. <laughs> it was fun watching them. I'm just so sad that uh, she's not here to enjoy this, but it's still still a beautiful thing to see. Thank you. One thing is that with this painting, I was sitting watching watching her it was outside on a on the courtyard, and she was talking. And I, in my mind, I was thinking, I would really love her to win a Telstra Award one day. You know, all you know, all of her sisters have. Except her. Medikit Ganabar Stubbs speaking on behalf of Ms. D. Unipingu, who has passed away, but who's posthumously won the award for bark painting with a beautiful group of mermaids, a personal dreaming story. I'm at the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art Awards, the Natsias, at the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory. The award for work on paper went to a local boy, and it's a particularly significant image, this one. It's like an old faded photograph. It's a man kneeling, surrounded by gardenias. I'm Gary Lee. I'm a Larrakia man from Darwin in the Northern Territory. I'm so glad to see you here. Been 10 years, I think, 10 years since I last saw you here. Well, the last time I saw you was... At the, something, I said something like that. And this beautiful work, this work on paper. Uh, old man John Juan Cabullo. Tell me about him, your grandfather. Well, Juan, John, or Johnny Cabillo, was a Darwin Wharfie. He had eight children, and he was about late 30s, and he, he uh, was a good provider, and he used to always be working for his family. So on this day, the day that the bombing of Darwin started, he wasn't supposed to be working, so his brother was feeling a bit under the weather, so he asked Johnny, could he work for him? So he did. He said, yeah, he was happy to do it, he had a big family. And his mate, George Ty, whose family still live in Darwin, they stopped for smoke at 10 o'clock in the morning. Suddenly the bomb started to fall at the wharf. So George Ty jumped into the water when the bomb started to drop and he yelled to my grandfather to jump in the water but because he was a, a non-swimmer he ran up the wharf and he ran past a huge supply ship called the Neptuna and a direct bomb blew the ch- ship up and my grandfather was killed he was running next to it and they never found his body Johnny used to wear a grey felt hat and he'd always put a little gardenia that grows up here. It's very sweet, 
It's very small. And that was his trademark, and people loved him. And so I prepared this photograph. This is the only picture in existence of Johnny and his hat. And so I got that historical photograph, and I um, tried to... Uh, Surrounded by gardenias, and he's the yes, felt hat in front of him. I wanted that. And you can see the gardenias on his hat. And I wanted it to be a tribute to him because, you know, he's, his story is just one of many stories in Darwin at that time. So I'm not saying his story is special or different, but for us, his family, this is, you know, we wanted to celebrate him. So I thought this year, in the 80th year, is, is a, it's the time. So I, I depicted him like that and uh, I'm glad the judges saw that too. Gary, such a pleasure to see you. Looking so well. Thank you. Yeah, good to see you. Nice to talk to you again. Hello, my name is Louise Malawi. And my country is Lake Gregory, my father's 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 side, and my mother's country near Balgo. That's why I do some painting about desert and the pretty colored rocks that I see in the winters. It's like glitter and shine. It's it's a desert, but it's got lake there. And how far do you have to travel to get those ochres? You have to go sometime to Balgo and get some or go to the community and ask around. And are you living in Karanara or living up there on country? I live in Kanana all my life, but I get to go back, travel, and all my family, my father's side, tell me to go back there, and you have to do painting for your father's father. And because I'm an artist, you know, I like to just paint, make me feel good, that's all. Yeah. Painting is good, isn't it? Because it, you focus, it's a, it's a good, it's culture, it's practising culture. Yes, practising culture and it's healing for me too and it's good for you know when you're in stress worry it ha- it's help you and it take you back and when you go back country it make you feel good it's it's heal you yeah how do you feel about winning the emerging artist award i didn't believe it but i knew i'm gonna win i knew it i already knew it i know like sometimes i can see the future you know forward that's how i see it in my heart and make my bingy feel real good and I just yeah when my bingy get feeling good inside I feel happy yeah, in my soul it just come to me naturally you know and I hope to do some more to, and to make my family proud Louise Malavi, winner of the Emerging Artist Award the Nazis are on at the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory until January next year The Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair was first established to complement the Natsias. It's where Indigenous-owned art centres, more than 70 usually, from across Australia, come together to sell artworks. It hasn't been held in real life since 2019 because of the pandemic. The last two years, it moved online. The art fair says in the last five years, sales have generated more than $11 million. And it's a mainstay on the Indigenous arts calendar 
where you'll find artists from the most remote art centres, Darwin locals, East Coast gallerists and high-end art buyers. The art show's Rosa Ellen went along with loose purse strings and her trusty microphone. My name's Solomon Booth and I'm from Moa Island up in the Torres Strait, the near western cluster of the Torres Strait Islands. Now, I knew your name for a long time because I bought a lino cut from the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair many years ago. So I was quite happy to meet you again, meet you in person. Do you come every year? Over the last couple of years before COVID hit, uh, in 2018 was the first time that we actually attended. And um, it was... Attended in person? Attended in person, well, with the art centre. Since then, we've been back uh, after COVID. Yeah, we're here now in 2022. Moa Arts specialises in relief prints mainly, right? Yeah, we're trying to expand our horizon a bit more further, uh, getting into other mediums as well as weavings, multimedia works as well. But mainly we focus on our printmaking, relief printmaking and intaglio. Most of the works are reflecting sea hunting, iconography, complicated patterns. Are they? What are they referencing? Is it? Is there a tradition of carving? Uh, a lot of a lot of the printmaking that we do in our lino, our lino cuts now stems from our wood carving heritage, and so a lot of the the mark makings that we do have, in which a lot of people that are not aware of, stems from our um, uh, the rock art paintings that we have on the islands. And so, and that's one of the rare things, whereas whereas when anthropologists came through, um, they found out that we have the most rock art paintings up in the Torres Strait Islands. It's not very commonly known, is it, the the rock art of the Torres Strait Islands? Uh, That's the beauty of our world. There's many people in many places. And the the more we travel, the more we get to spread that message of who we are and where we're from. I started printmaking 20 years ago. Uh, I was the baby of the group, of the previous art group, had older older peers, uh, and now today I'm leading the group uh, 20 years later, and printmaking is my specialty, and getting to teach the younger generation and the emerging artists as well, passing on my skills, is um, like I really find that very fruitful in knowing that I'm passing on that knowledge. It makes it easier for the next wave of emerging artists to develop and create more dynamic, stronger cultural appropriate works. Now let's head west from the Torres Strait across to the Kimberley and to Munganja Arts in Fitzroy Crossing. One of the founding members is the artist Tommy May, now aged 87. His vivid work is on display at this stall, painted on shiny perspex. I chatted with Munganja's Lindley Naguda. So Munganja is a place where everybody comes to relax and, and to paint country. You have some beautiful works on perspex behind you. Who started it? So Mangaja came across Perspex by accident over five years ago. Um, like every art centre does, we ran out of art material and um, we were waiting for supplies to come from Alice Springs. And um, so the last thing that was left was a bit of Perspex and we gave some of our artists that and they took to it and that's how it was then developed here at Mangaja. Is it painted, like, is the paint behind the pers- on the other side of the perspex? Yes. Yeah. Um, the artwork is painted directly on the back of the perspex and um, then we back it with the backing colour, kind of like how you prime your canvas before you paint on it. And um, then we back it with a bit of material, um, aluminium or metal to keep it together and sturdy. 
really joyful pieces, these these works. What I, what I love about Perspex is the light catches it. It's, it's good to be back here in DAF after, you know, having that break over the couple of years and just to come back and see everybody again. Have the sales been good? Um, yes, yeah, sales have been good for us, but I think that atmosphere of, you know, the mateship seeing everyone again, I think that's more priceless than selling an artwork is seeing your friends that you haven't seen because of the border closures, yeah. Uh, I was here yesterday morning early. I got here at 10 o'clock yesterday morning. You're keen. I was keen. I was, yeah, we've come up especially. I've been waiting two years. <laughs> um, and I did buy a couple of pieces yesterday. I bought um, a couple for myself and then a couple of... And a friend wanted me to find some little pieces for her. So I bought <laughs> them for her as well. She had, a, she had a budget of only, you know, not much. So she spent $120 on each piece. I mean, this has obviously been online the last two years. Yep. It's hard buying art online, though. Yep. It's much easier to see, see the work in person. Yes, and I have bought stuff online as well over the past few years. And I did come up here a couple of months ago. I went over to the Tiwi Islands for the grand final day, and they have a big art show on that day as well. So I did buy some pieces then, too. Yeah, I tend to just buy things I like. I don't buy particular artists or from any particular art centres. I just, whatever I'm drawn to, that's how I... Do you ever manage to get out to the art centres or is it, I mean, it's, I you, there's an art trail now? And there is. When I was here in March, I was with my, teen, my twin teenage boys and we did a little trip, Litchfield, Catherine, Kakadu, and anywhere on the way where there was an art centre, we dropped in and there's a beautiful new one in Catherine and we stopped there and I did buy a couple of things from them as well. So yes, I do. If we're in the area, I will always seek out, yeah, and make sure we support the... Where, whereabouts are you from? I'm from Melbourne. Are you buying While we're speaking, the painting that Kath has been eyeing off to buy is snapped up by someone else. Oh, oh you missed it, Kath. Post-game interview, you missed it. No, I've spent a lot of money in the last few months on art, so, but that was particularly beautiful, that piece. Okay. You, it sounds like you... Someone else will love it. How are you feeling? Oh, pretty excited. Um, and what attracted you to this canvas? Uh, the colours and the repeat patterns and the detailed things. It actually looked a little bit like flowers to me. And also, um, well, I think it'll work in my house. And when you walk away and then you keep thinking about the work, that's when you are more likely to know it's the right decision. Staying in the centre, I spot senior Aranda artist Mervyn Rambancha painting on the floor of the Ilta Njara Art Centre stall. I come to see uh, all the artists come from all over the community. Yeah, I like to just see the works and it's really good. You're painting in the same tradition and I see just before I dragged you out, out of the um, Ndaria Many Hands Art Centre, you were painting here still. Can you paint in you know any conditions? Do you like to paint in the studio or? I paint when I feel like that because can't get up much now <laughs> because back in those days, get up, but not now. On the 70s, I would start doing painting. On the late 60s, I was looking at those great artists doing painting. They was good, good old uh, elders painting us with us. Then I got been taught by the elders, by my uncle with us, my granny, grandpa. They taught me to paint. So I'm Ken McGregor. I've just written a book called The Life and Times of Albert Namajira, which is something that I've wanted to do since I was about 10 years old. 
after I um, foolishly threw a cricket ball through the headmaster's window and was waiting in his office to get the strap in those days and there was a print on the wall and it was one of Albert Nemegeras. So I was standing there gazing at that and the headmaster, my punishment was to go to the library and read a book on Albert Nemegeras. And I was so fascinated at his work and the colours. Three or four years later, I was um, on a school bus trip to Central Australia where I um, sat in the dry Todd Creek bed with Albert's children, which was just extraordinary. So um, it's sort of come full circle now. And these two softly spoken gentlemen here are um, descendants of the artists that Albert Nemegeras taught. So it's a wonderful connection. Let's head back to the top end and to the Tiwi Islands, just north of Darwin. My name is Jetta. I'm from Pernagibi community on Melbourne Island. We have uh, artists that uh, have artwork. Uh, we have sculptures, two twenty poles that the men make and the women paint. Yesterday was a slow process, but today we kicked off uh, with a good sales. Yeah. Is it good to be back at DAF, have it open again? Do you like being here? It's better, it's much better than online. <laughs> Rosa Allen speaking with artists and a buyer at the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair held last weekend at the Darwin Convention Centre. That's it for the show this week. The art show's producer is Rosa Allen, thanks to RN's sound engineers. There are many shows and special features on visual art right now for ABC's Arts Week. Check out iView and ABC Arts, where the theme is Art is Everywhere. Don't forget to follow us on the ABC Listen app. I'm Daniel Browning. I'll catch you next week. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.